What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> then the radio show was up there. No then, then they moved back here. Speaking of the radio show, Lee, that's what we're doing right now. We no replaced doubt. it. We're doing the podcast. I don't. Let's go ahead and get it started. I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast. Lee McClellan, co-host. Hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas. Yeah, I, I mean, I did. It's I did too. Just now starting to look like Christmas outside as we speak. Though. Oh, it's snowing. It's great. I mean, it was what seventy. Yeah, oh, Christmas weekend. It was kind of bummy. I was like, it's not supposed to be like this. You know, I enjoyed being able to wear a t-shirt. Um, I was a little bit confused though because it and was I squirrel hunted. I played golf. I did a lot of things outside. But well, I mean, I went to my Christmas dinners, you know, Christmas dinner, and I w wanted to wear a t-shirt because it was t-shirt weather. But I then know. I realized all my t-shirts look crummy and uh, have holes in them or are sports <laughs> teams. And most of my t-shirts are UK sports. And my whole family is Louisville fans. Unfortunately, I forgive them though. I still. Well, my dad went to U of L, but he he likes UK. Yeah, my both my my parents. wife's uh, family all strong U of L. Well, except for her dad, who played football at UK, was starting quarterback. Well, there we, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, he was he, uh, nineteen sixty-two through sixty-five. Uh, that's back when they had freshmen didn't play. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was drafted by the Miami Dolphins and was the first quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. Really? Well, that's and then he could then a guy by the name of Bob Greasy beat him out. Oh well, <laughs> well that makes sense. But you know, he had a lot of records still. Couch. He had a lot of the passing records. So was he a Bear Bryant guy? Uh, no, but he was under uh, crazy Charlie Bradshaw, who was a Bear Bryant protege. Mm -hmm. And you may have heard in UK lore the Thin Thirty. He was a member of the Thin Thirty, where okay. he ran off most of the team because he was just. Did you ever see the movie Junction Boys? Or did I, you ever see I haven't, no. Book? It's about Bear Bryant's first few teams where he was just toughening them up. And Maybe I should go back and watch it because Bear Bryant is being brought up more and more these days. Because, you know, I'm, I was born in 89, Lee. Like, yeah. I'm you know, fairly before my time. Yeah. But with everything Stoops is doing, with the football team actually being good now and getting mm -hmm. recruits and no winning, doubt. I mean, Bear Bryant is, uh, you know, his name get, gets brought up a lot more now amongst UK fans because mm -hmm. we're talking about what Stoops is doing and comparing it to something. And that's mm -hmm. the only comparison us UK fans have in football is what Mark Stoops is doing right now to the Bear Bryant days. I know. So, you know, I probably need to go back and learn more about those teams. But, well, he, uh, um, Charlie Bradshaw took over in 60 and a guy named Blank Collier was the coach. He went on to win a title with the Cleveland Browns. Mm -hmm. And when he, uh, when he graduated, he was courted by the Browns and they were NFL. And uh, there's a picture of him and Art Modell who owned the Cleveland Browns forever and then when they moved to the Ravens. Um, and he went to the AFL, to the Upstart Dolphins, because they offered substantially more money. Mm -hmm. And he signed a contract, I think it was $120,000, which was princely back then. Oh yeah, yeah, you listened to some so, of these. So he, he followed the money and he, he regretted it later because he said, I could have competed for championships instead of being on an expansion team. He got destroyed. Oh, yeah. One play against the Houston Oilers, he got up, and back then they just had one bar. Yeah. They hit him in the mouth so hard it tore his tongue nearly in half, and when he got up from the play, the bottom of his jaw was on one side of his mouth. <laughs> oh, he, he had to He had to live on liquid diet for six, eight months. Jeez. He had to wire his jaw shut to get it to work again. Well, football's a heck of a sport. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I could rough. sit here and talk about... He broke about, his leg in college in Houston. He hated Houston. <laughs> I could sit here and talk about sports all day. I want, I want to talk about sports because I did watch a lot of those over the break. But Me too. Right here, you know, it's been a while since we've done a podcast. Mm -hmm. Just with the holidays and everything going on, it's been hard to catch people. But uh, basically, to prep for this podcast, I have less prep right now than I probably ever had before. But essentially but what I have... We is, got enough to do it. 
I, essentially, I have a list of things that I did mm-hmm. since our last podcast. Mm-hmm. And sports is right there because I did watch a lot of sports. I did too. I vegged out on football. It's great. Oh, yeah. Ball season. It was great. Oh, and, Only and, one game left. I know. But uh, it'll be a good and, one. And the one I, you know, <laughs> the one I thought would happen, to be honest. I thought oh, it would yeah. be those two. And, yeah. I don't know where it's going to go. I think it's a coin flip. But on my list of things I've done since our last podcast, aside from sports, I have bear hunt, muzzleloader, rabbit, mushrooms, coyote hunt. And I don't even know where to wow. start on there. Uh, the bear hunt was kind of what we talked about on the last podcast because I think it was the week before bear season. Yeah, but, and you talked about prep and stuff. I went down there and I scouted and I did actually, I snuck right up on a bear. I felt, did you go to Shil- uh, there? You talked to you going Yeah, there? yeah, I went there. It was beautiful. Beautiful area. And I saw bear sign. I saw other people. Um, like I said, the week before I went down and scouted and I literally walked right up on a black bear. I could have shot it with a with a bow. You know, I on the ground, sneaking up on one because I saw it through some trees, you know, just looking through the woods, you know, trees kind of come together mm-hmm. and you see kind of through them. And I just saw something that looked perfectly black through a little gap in a couple of trees. And I just slowly snuck up there and ended up getting within probably 40 yards of this black bear. And it was just browsing. I had a good wind. I didn't know I was there. So that was really cool to see. But then when I went back for the bear hunt that weekend, I didn't realize it. We drove an ATV up the mountain, which was probably uh, two miles and covered about 1,200 feet mm-hmm. of elevation. Yeah, so it's, it, it's steep. It was pretty steep. But when we, so obviously we, we unloaded the ATV at the base of the mountain and started up it. And when we were starting up it, we saw two dogs in a driveway right there at the base of the mountain before we got on the WMA. And we drove all the way up that mountain. It probably took us 45 minutes. And when we got up there and got out of the ATV, those two dogs had followed us all the way up. And they were up there on the mountain with us. And uh, one of them was a black lab mix. And that thing followed me around all day. It literally followed me all day. And I, you know, what am I going to do to get rid of it? Because it, so there were about three or four times that day while I was up on top of that mountain where my heart skipped a beat when I looked over and saw something black. <laughs> it was a dog? Yeah, it was a dang dog. He, 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 wouldn't, he wouldn't follow right with me. He wanted to stay near me, but he wouldn't come close. So he was staying like 50 to 100 yards away and typically behind me. So I would go five or 10 minutes without seeing him, maybe half an hour without seeing him. And then I'd, you know, I didn't be in full-blown hunting mode. I wouldn't even be thinking about that dog. And then all of a sudden, I catch a glimpse of something black moving. And every single time, it was that dog. <laughs> Did you think he screwed you on your hunt? No. I, honestly, if I thought that dog was messing me up, I would have tried harder to get rid of him. But the way he was hanging back, because I was basically um, just slowly moving. I was trying to cover as much ground as possible. And with that dog hanging back, 50 to 100 yards, he wasn't getting in the way of anything I was doing. So I actually let the dog kind of follow around with me all day. And at one point, this was the day after the tornado came through Western Kentucky and us being a couple hundred miles east, that line of storms didn't get to us until about 10 a.m. on Saturday morning, the first day of bear season. And luckily when I scouted, I had picked, you know, I have on X and when I was scouting, I was marking bear sign. I was marking where I saw that bear. I was marking all my stuff. And I found this nice rock shelter, a big undercut on the side of a, the mountain and it actually had a pretty good view of a couple ridges so i made a note of it on my on x on my on x and had it marked as a shelter location because you know you never know when you're up there Mm -hmm. four or five miles from any road with no cell service you might need to find a spot where you can get hunkered up and survive a night you know what i mean Yeah, no doubt so it's never a bad idea to take note of a when you're in that rugged of terrain a place that's 
safe for you to, to go and hide out. So when that line of storms came through and it started getting pretty rough, I was a mile from there. I hiked back to that location just so I could stay dry. And I hung out there for about three and a half hours while the rain was really coming down and the temperatures were starting to drop. And that dog, it was hesitant to get close to me all day. And then when the rain really started coming down and I was up under that rock shelter, I could see that dog out there about 25 yards away just looking at me out of the corner of his eye. And then finally, it took about 20 minutes of hard rain, I'd say, he worked up the nerve to come over there and get in my shelter next to me. And I, I've got a couple photos of him just curled up sleeping in some dry leaves under uh, under that rock overhang with me. So that was fun. I mean, I'm at least glad I had some company. I, never, down. I always say before I go down there, I'm not really anticipating killing a bear, you know. It's more about just going out there. And I always, I mean, I always go into it optimistic, optimistic and hoping, but you know, I'm perfectly happy coming home every bear hunt weekend without a bear. And so, you know, it was, it was a cool experience waiting out that storm. There were, I mean, it was strong winds. It was, it was 50 mile an hour gust on top of the mountain that day. So it was, it was pretty rough, mm -hmm. but it, it was a lot of fun, even though I didn't see a bear. I got to see some really, really beautiful area. And it's always just, you know, hunting a different area. I feel like it would probably be the same thing if you were somebody who from, who was from out east towards the Appalachians to come and hunt the bluegrass region. Mm -hmm. Not as vast and doesn't take your breath away the same, but it would probably be a cool experience just to hunt somewhere different. That, that different. You know, they'd probably love to come up here and hunt some crop fields mm -hmm. and some flat ground. And it'd probably, you know, feel like a walk in the park while they're out there. No doubt. Hunt, hunting game. And out there, it's a different challenge, you know. it it tests you physically like nothing around here does. You know, you got to find a lot of ravines to cover that kind of elevation change in this part of the state. But, so the bear hunt was fun. I did go hard at it both days, tore my body up pretty good, but it was well worth it. And then let's see what else I have here. The rabbit hunt, I've been on several rabbit hunts and that's really just to get out and exercise my dog. Yeah. That's fun. I did, while I was rabbit hunting one time, find a spot on a down log where something had killed a rabbit and taken it up on top of a log to eat it. Now, that's not a coyote to me, and I'm not the fur bear expert. I probably need to ask Laura Palmer or, or somebody like that what would do that, but to me, that that said cat, you know? Yeah. That said bobcat to me. Because I maybe potentially some kind of a, a raptor. Yeah, maybe, that's what I was thinking too, yeah. But an owl or a hawk of a some hawk. kind. We had a little duck out here who was we get a lot of drop-offs, as you know, of domesticated ducks. And there was one out here that looked like he had a, a, a um, 50s style, you know, flat top, and we called him Elvis. Yeah. Well, the resident hawk out here nailed Elvis one <laughs> <laughs> and ate his breast out and just left the rest. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, he knows where to go. Yeah. So, I mean, if they drug it somewhere and there was just part of it eating it, raptor could be part of it. It was it was like fur on top of the log and fur around the base of the log. Something had just taken it up off the ground to eat it. And that's, coyotes don't do that. A coyote's just gonna, you know, it's not gonna climb up on a log to eat a meal. So I took a rabbit that I harvested that day, really close to that area. And I uh, cleaned it, took all the meat out of it. And then I just basically took the, the rib cage, what was left and the fur, and I put it on a log, and I put a trail camera on it. And I took a little piece of paracord, and I wrapped it around the log and tied it off. So something, in order to eat that or take it, would have had to have been on my trail camera, right? Because, I mean, I have it tied to a log and have a trail camera right there looking at it. Mm -hmm. Something came through and got that rabbit without setting off my trail camera at all. Um, pro probably Bigfoot. 
No, no. I don't know. It was Good a, man. I mean, I had a lot of pictures, but whatever took my rabbit wasn't on there. So I'm going to... Now, that could have been think Mr. Coyote named the rabbit. That's hard to say. I don't know what. I mean, it could have been anything. could have been literally anything. But this weather, the snow coming down and this temperature dropping has me in the mood to go find out what's out there. You know, and I might call in a hawk or a owl or something, but I, this is the time to get out and predator hunt. And that's probably what I'm doing when I get off work I, today. I mean, I love snow. If it's going to be cold, I want it to I love snow. rabbit hunting in the snow. Yeah. I love smallmouth fishing in the snow oh, yeah. when it's not crazy. And we'll be out doing something for the show here in the next, if not today, then tomorrow, because the first snowfall of the year where it's actually a good covering is always an opportunity to get out and do something. And I'm not sure if your chances are any better. Maybe you just see more game because you can, you know, the contrast is better. You can see the deer walking through the woods that you probably couldn't see before. So it seems so much quieter. Yeah, I, I really like it. But we'll be getting out and trying to film something because it's just such a cool opportunity to get out and hunt or fish in the snow. It's, it's beautiful. And I feel like you can see more game. And you can see more tracks on the ground. You can tell what's fresh. It's just easier to kind of be engaged as a hunter mm -hmm. when yeah. you've got snow on the ground. So I like doing it personally. I don't know if it comes across any better on video for the TV show um, than just regular hunting and fishing does, but we want to get out there and do something every time that we get a chance. So we'll be hunting either tonight, maybe a nighttime coyote hunt. Um, snow on the ground really helps with nighttime coyote hunts because you can you almost don't even need a light or night vision or infrared if you got a good snow covering you can pretty much see the animals coming across the landscape without any lights or anything and you still need a light or infrared or night vision to uh to you know hunt mm -hmm. but it makes it a lot easier to spot and locate coyotes coming towards you when you can see them with your bare eyes no doubt because when you're relying on your optics you're you pretty much have to have those optics to your face the whole time that you're out there hunting and you have to be constantly scanning left or right left or right and that's pretty much all you can do if you're relying on your optics while you're hunting is pretty much constantly scanning all the time but the snow is going to give you the opportunity to use your actual eyes yeah the, yes so the contrast is much yeah. better so i'm looking forward to that i've got a whole bunch of stuff written down on my list here lee but mm -hmm. you know basically the bear hunt was probably the highlight of my last month even though i didn't see anything in coyote hunting and predator hunting in general is what I'm looking forward to doing most right now. So, what what's your weapon choice? For, you've told me before for 20, Coyote. 22250. That's what I thought. I love a 22250. Um, Do you deer hunt with that too? Yeah. I, I take a lot of does with it. Uh, if I had a buck So, tag, explain to people what 22250 means. Well, uh, I'm not a historian, so I probably... It's a neck down case. Yeah, that's it's, what... Yeah. It's, a, it's basically... I shoot a 55 grain bullet. You can get them from 40 grains up to 60 grains, pretty much. And 55 grains is coming out of my rifle at a little over 4,000 feet a second. Yeah, it's screaming. Smoking. And if, you, if you're trying to compare that to something else, like a 308, you're looking at 2,700 feet a second. So 150 times the speed or more. Yeah. You know, about, and a 270, you're looking at 3,000 feet a second. So it's a fast, fast round. Um, 243 is pretty comparable. 223 is pretty comparable. Okay, those are, I, was, I was wanting to ask. Yeah. Those are probably the three most popular um, varmint calibers. So it would be 223, 22, 250, and 243. And I mean, depending on where you're hunting, a shotgun or a 17, you know, there's a lot of things that My would My brother 
uses 17. Something about that 22.50. No, it screams too. I don't think it's as fast as well, that. Well, you know, there's a there's a balance there. The muzzle velocity is one thing, but the lighter the bullet that you're shooting, the less momentum it's going to carry. Yeah, energy equals mass times velocity you, squared. You think about throwing a, a golf ball versus throwing a, a paper wad the same size as a golf ball, mm -hmm. you know, just with less weight, that golf ball is going to go a whole lot further. Mm -hmm. Now, that's because it has more momentum um, coming out of the barrel. So muzzle velocity isn't everything. Part of it is kinetic energy also because that kinetic energy is going to keep your momentum going forward longer. Yeah. So you're going to hold your velocity longer. So that 22250 is just a really good balance of speed and energy. And it's a solid, I mean, it, it'll shoot further than the shooter will, I mean, without dropping off much. My rifle sighted in at 200 yards. It's less than an inch high at 100, less than three inches low at 300. Wow. So it's pretty much in 95% of hunting situations a dead on hold, you yeah. know, within two inches of yeah. my impacts within two inches all the way out to 270. My brother's killed some nice ones with his 17. I mean, oh, yeah. it'll do it. And 17, I mean, all the shot placement's the number one thing. Yeah. I think bullet selection is important, especially once you get up to bigger game. Like, you don't want, one of the biggest mistakes I've seen people make with uh, coyote hunting is that they will take their... 30-odd six out there, yeah, or, well, which, I mean, I'm not saying that can't get it done because it, a well-placed shot's going to get it done, right? But the way that bullet acts um, is completely different because it's made for big game. Yeah. So it's made to hit thick hide. It's made to hit bone and thick muscle. And so that bullet's made to expand after it hits those things that it's, you know, intended to, like a deer. And when you shoot something like a coyote with it, a much smaller, thinner, lighter animal, that bullet's going to pass straight through without really expanding and doing the damage it was supposed to do. So a lot of people, like I know a guy who used to take a seven mag coyote hunting occasionally. Well, that's all he had. You know, we were poor kids. We were high schoolers. <laughs> and uh, I remember him shooting, you know, going out into the field. He was talking about, oh, seven mag, it's going to be great. And, and I remember him shooting a coyote one time, and, and that bullet probably went through it like a hot butter knife, you know, mm -hmm. without doing a whole lot at all. And I mean, it, yeah, it's just way too much. Yeah, those quick expanding lightweight bullets, like a twenty-two fifty or two twenty-three or two forty-three, are just gonna are just gonna act better on a on a coyote sized game because when they hit that thin hide and thin bone and thin muscle, they go ahead and expand rapidly. So you're still putting all that energy into the animal, and it just makes for much cleaner, quicker, you know, mm -hmm. harvest. So that uh, that's why I like it. But everything's legal for daytime coyote hunting, literally. Everything is legal to, to do it with, so I'm not saying that you're making a bad decision if you do take the 308 you got in the garage for deer hunting out there and try coyote hunting because you can get it done just fine. Pretty much with everything, shot selection or shot placement is the most important. You know, that's my two cents on it. But I've uh, old Martha, she's riding around in the car with me today. That's my 22250, and we'll probably go give it a give it a shot or two after uh, after. Honestly, work just. I love being outside when it's snowing. Snow? It's, it's all I love it. You know what? I think that they're maybe hunting and fishing, hunting is better in the snow because just like we love being outside during the snow, I really think there's something to that first snowfall of the year, especially with deer. It's like they want to get up and want to move. And yeah, I'll, I'll probably end up finding myself in a deer stand sometime while the snow's still on the ground too. Well, so. you know, I think fishing too, it's usually a low pressure front and low pressure fronts can bring on the fish. But it kills that sky. There's no light penetration at all. Mm -hmm. And you're not dealing with wetness. You so, know, you're dealing with snow. So specifically on the Highland Reservoirs, 
Dale. I've, I've done great on snow on Cumberland. Well, well Cumberland, Dale, Laurel, mm -hmm. thinking of places like that. I mean, I'd say Harrington and maybe Rough River. There's probably several lakes this applies to. But yesterday I was on the phone with Chad. We were actually having a meeting about the show. And uh, I made mention of how this cool weather, like I, I feel like the 70 degrees and the 50 degrees that we've been getting mm -hmm. kind of had these, the fish. Screwed up, I think. The bash, yeah, really screwed up. Because where, where are they going to be? They don't know where the comfortable water is. Yeah, it's like, hey, the, the photo period's saying this, but the temperature's not matching. So I told Chad that maybe this quick cold snap could drop the water temperatures back down to where they're supposed to be, and mm -hmm. we could actually go out and have some productive fishing. He brought up, he said, when you go from warm weather like we've had to a real quick drop off to cold, he said that's great because it's going to stress the the shad. And yes, it'll cause a, a shad die off. Yes. So getting so those fish are going to be keyed in on dying bait fish. Because I'm I'm going to go down and hit the fly at least once. A floating fly. <laughs> yeah. So that your favorite. Oh well, <laughs> it's fun. I mean, if you catch fish, it's fun. If you don't, then you're then just, it's no fun. You're just sitting there bobber fishing. But you know, like floating fly is a great example of a technique that would work really well if there is a shad die off, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, those, basically with the float and fly, you're, you just have a, a, a fly, a little minnow imitator dropped about eight or nine feet. A little craft jig or uh, duck feather a lot of people like. Well, you drop it down about eight or nine feet under a float, mm -hmm. and you're basically just twitching that float. And that just causes that little hair jig to just barely twitch. Just like a dying alewife or shad. Just like it. So you can really key in on some big, big fish, especially with well, that. You know, biology's... Uh, program them to look for that. Yeah. You know, why chase a healthy one when this one's struggling? I can get him right now and have food. One of them, so the floating fly is a good technique, and you've mm -hmm. done articles about that, and we've done TV, sh or we've done segments about that that are on YouTube. If somebody wanted to learn how, Chad and I did one one time. It was twenty eight degrees was the high that day, and yeah. it snowed, and we caught fish. Probably about that. perfect. Probably about perfect. But another technique I really like that Chad showed me for when bait fish are stressed and dying is a lot of times those smallmouth are still going to be sitting on bottom. You know, so you might be able to key in on them. You know, they're going to be on a, a main lake point sitting between 12 and 18 feet deep, yep. you know. So the a swim bait can give you a yeah. really good dying bait fish imitation tube on the bottom. Mm -hmm. So you can take that swim bait and put it on a football head or a jig head, something maybe with a weed guard is a good idea because you are fishing on the bottom. And you can let it sink all the way down to the bottom, tighten your line up, and just twitch it. And it, what, it'll, what it'll do is that swim bait will sit on the bottom and it'll just kind of twitch back and forth on the bottom. And then you maybe drag it three or four feet across the bottom and you twitch it there. And you just work that, that swim bait across the depth range where you think those fish are going to be sitting. And it basically does the same thing as a floating fly, but it does it on the bottom. Yeah. And I, I enjoy that style of fishing more because I like feeling mm -hmm. you know even if i'm not getting bites when i'm dragging the bait across the bottom and i'm feeling every little rock and you know log on the bottom that's more engaging for me than sitting there with the bobber waiting for it to go down so i've just i've had really good luck with the fly so well, i'm sure you can catch studs doing it i just me personally i prefer the swim bait i don't think it's peaked i think the fly peaks in february yeah when the water temperatures get the coldest when it's the coldest that's but, when it shines but if there was a time to do it earlier it could be but that swim bait, Chad and I went to um, Dale one time. It was January the 4th. It was the day before we were coming back from, to work for Christmas break. High was 40, bluebird, high pressure. I was like, well, we'll catch nothing. 
Mm -hmm. And Chad turned me on to the tungsten football head yep. and the little tiny swim bait on weed beds. Yeah. You get hung and just barely pull it off and then you'd feel like a sponge. I yep. caught four that day. Yeah, that's the key is finding nice ones. those weed beds. Mm -hmm. Well, because in the, in the water, there's going to be weed beds and then mixed in with those weed beds, there's going to be rock bottom and just like shoal bottom. And those areas with the rock bottom are gonna heat up quicker than the weed beds themselves do because of the sunlight hitting them. It's gonna warm that water a little bit quicker. Um, so those fish will sit right on the rocks on the edge of the weed bed or in the weed bed where there's bare rock. So if you're pulling that bait through the weeds and you can feel weeds and weeds and then all of a sudden you don't feel anything at all, like you're on a clean surface, mm -hmm. get ready. Cause yeah. that, that's where the fish are gonna be is yep. right on the edge of those weeds. Yep. And it's almost like I caught one like that. It bounced off. I felt hard, and then it got in the weeds, and pow! Nips, nice. That was my fish of the day. You can almost call your shot. And when yeah. the fish are biting down there, and you're dragging, and you can feel those weeds, and all of a sudden you feel nothing, you can pretty much say, "Here we go." And you know, I'd say if the bite's on half the time, when you say, "Here we go," within two or three seconds, you bam feel a little tug on the end of the line. But the bite can be really light, really light. So. Uh, probably a braid or a fluorocarbon yep, would yep. be your best way to go. Yeah, I like straight fluoro. Hey, you like your fluoro. I, I like my braid. I know. But hey, you know, I can do a fluoro leader yeah. just for presentation. And I, I'm, I'm turning on to braid more. I, I, I really like braid, aside from what it does to my hands. Yeah. I like it aside from but that. But for like Ohio River and stuff, definitely. You there, know, there. And my ocean fishing, I'm going to be strictly braid with a fluoro leader. Even yeah. creek fishing, I've switched to... I pretty much run braid exclusively on all my reels now. And the, I mean, I have, you know, 65 pound braid on one reel for musky. I have 10 pound braid on one, I have 30 pound, but I, I run braid as my main line, main line on pretty then, much everything. Then do floral off that? If I want a leader, I'll do a floral or a mono leader. Cause braid, I mean, it's just completely water neutral. It's yeah. not, it's not buoyant. It doesn't sink. I mean, it pretty much has the same density. And no memory. That's the yeah. thing. I just get better casting distance and I get better line capacity. Like every, you know, whatever the downside of braid is, it's not worth sacrificing the upsides to me. Cause I mean, I guess visibility would be the big downside, but I can use a That's why I like the, yeah. yeah. And I, I just like spoon on fluoro yeah. and I'm good. I just, for some, maybe it's because I use cheap fluoro or something like that, but I, I've just well, had. I've gotten to where Chad turned me on to the good stuff. And the P line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and uh, also I love Seaguar too. Yeah. Well, it's just I, maybe I used the ba the cheap kind at some point, and I had a bad experience because mm -hmm. I just had more kinks and more knots me in too. my line. See, that's why I went away from it. Chad was like, throw floral. Like, oh, it's so cr crinkly and it coils, yeah, and I don't memory. like it. It's. Yeah. And then I bought good kind, and I was like, oh, well, now I know what he's talking about because yeah. <laughs> I. Being, you know, but if you want something being that, budget conscious, always I bought the cheap stuff. If you want something that has because basically no stretch, that's the benefit of fluoros. You mm -hmm. can feel those light bites down deep a little bit easier. I mean, braid gives me that um, without the memory. But you know, I mean, it's, it does braid doesn't sink like fluoros. So if you're trying to get down fast, braid is a you're at a little bit of a disadvantage there. Yeah, but it works. Like you were talking about the float and fly earlier, I would never use braid. No on the float and fly because that's a very finesse look, you know, mm -hmm. like those. I use four pound fluoro. Yeah, that's probably similar to what I would do too. But long story short, there's a lot, like just the snow. I'm looking at this tree out the window and I can see the snow coming down between me and that tree. Things are about to get good. Yeah. Whether it be deer hunting or rabbit hunting or predator hunting or fishing, this weather that we have been experiencing for the last 12 hours and looks like it's gonna stick around for three or four days is gonna help. I love out. it. 
Yeah. I mean, it might not be as pleasant to walking to your car and from your car and walking around work and things like that. But if you're oh, doing something outdoors, like this is what you want this no time doubt. of year. I love to walk in the snow. I just, I love snow. I'm going to, I'm definitely coyote hunting today. Maybe I'll take them. I, I did that last year. I think I'm going to go to the same place tonight. Last year, I took the, the equipment um, coyote hunting with me one time and I did a set and I missed a coyote. Right. And now I set up on that set last year. I don't know if you listen to that podcast, but mm-hmm. most of it was me heavy breathing out of breath because the air was thin and I was bundled up and I was walking up a hill. Like I didn't really plan that out that great, how I'm going to start this podcast while trying to walk up a hill and not being able to breathe. Because when you're talking, you can't just breathe normally. So I was out of breath and a little bit gassed. So that was probably a bad idea. But when I was setting that up, I'd basically said that I had backtracked a coyote to its den using its tracks that I found in the snow. And so I was setting up on that coyote den when I did that podcast. And the coyote, I mean, it worked out just like it was supposed to. Coyote came from a slightly different place than I thought it would, and but I missed. So I think tonight I'm going back to that same spot. And without the pressure of the podcast, maybe I can make the shot. Well, it's, you know, there's a, in our business, there's the camera curse, there's the yeah. podcast curse. When, when you really need it, I think you put you know, your guts put pressure and then you you force things. I just, it's not as natural. Well, and I really, last year I was trying to, I had a new rifle, a new Coyote rifle. I was, and that was my first hunt with that rifle. I mean, I'd shot it plenty, but I hunted with that rifle for about three weeks and then I sold it. Uh, I think it cost me two Coyotes, that one and one other one that I would have without a doubt gotten with my bolt rifle. I had an AR, I really wanted to try an AR for predator hunting, but I just, I've sold it and I went back to old reliable, yeah. you know? And so I think that I just feel so much more confident with my bolt rifle. And I didn't realize what I was, you have to spend some serious money on an AR to get one that shoots anywhere near as accurate as just oh, that, I know. the average bolt rifle. They're more of a fun gun. Well, the whole reason, the whole concept behind an AR is kind of similar to like an AK-47. Mm-hmm. It's um, loose tolerances so it operates in pretty much any condition. So if you get sand or dirt or, or something like that in your gun, it's still gonna work just fine. But those loose tolerances that let it operate with when it's gunked up are the same things that take away from its accuracy. Yes. So in order to get a really precision AR, you have to, you're basically going away from the whole reason the AR was even designed. You have to go to tight tolerances and really high end parts and it just costs a lot of money. And my bolt rifle out there will shoot I mean, it. I bought it for six hundred dollars used, and it shoots sub one inch groups with any ammo. I mean, it's a it's a really really good shooter, just like most bolt ri- bolt rifles are now. And I would probably have to spend five times that much on an AR to get one that will shoot anywhere near it. You know, so that coyote last year that I missed on the podcast was about two hundred two hundred fifty yards, and I probably didn't make a perfect shot, but I know my crosshairs were on that coyote when the when the gun went off. And I I just know from experience that if I had my bolt rifle and that exact same, dropped. With, yeah. that, with that exact same shot was taken, I would have been okay. So I think some some of that is a reaction. The first M sixteens were really tight. Mm-hmm. They went to Vietnam, filthy, muck, yeah. jungle. They jammed all the time. And, yeah. and then, that's not what you want. No. You no. don't want a jamming gun in combat situation. Uh-huh. And the enemy, their guns never jammed. So they had to work on that for to loosen it up for a long time. Everything's a give and take. Yeah. You know, those tight tolerances and on a semi-automatic gas operator. Have you ever rifle. shot one of those old SKSs? Do you remember those? 
I'm sure I have. Um, you know, I know the Narinkos. There's a bunch of guys I know that, you know, are kind of. I don't. I consider them just to be normal people, but some people would probably consider them gun nuts, mm -hmm. and they, uh, you know, they've got their toys. And so we. I had one for a while. I gave it back to my brother. Gave it to me. I was like, ah, I just gave it back. To yeah, him. I mean, I'm I'm simply a hunter, you know. Yeah. And so pretty much everything I invest into a firearm is going to be something I can use in the field. Um, every rifle I own right now is a bolt action rifle, you know. I have 2250, 308, and they're all built on the exact same platform. I want them all to shoot and feel almost the exact same so that when I switch from one rifle to the other, it's, almost, it's as seamless as possible. You know, nothing feels much different than it did last time I was out with the other rifle. So that's kind of my goal. It's all hunting based. And it's all, you know, how I hunt based too. If I was hunting in the hills of eastern Kentucky all the time, I would probably have much different rifles than I do considering yep, no where doubt. I'm hunting here. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be carrying like my 308. I took bear hunting it. Bear rifle, it's only seven and a half pounds, but with all the accessories I slapped on that thing, with a 30 millimeter scope and a, a bipod and a, you know a, a elevated cheek piece and things like that, I mean it probably weighs 12 pounds. Mm -hmm. And last year I took a Barrett Ultralight out there, which is a five five and a half pound rifle, and all it had on it was a little Leopold scope, very simple scope, and that thing was like packing nothing. So if I hunted Eastern Kentucky a lot, that's probably what I would, I'd probably mm -hmm. go really light and pretty compact. But here in the bluegrass region, a lot of times I park the truck and I only have to walk 200 yards across flat ground yeah. to, to get to where I'm going to be set up and hunting at. So weight doesn't really bother me too much. But that's a lot of, I mean, I didn't know what we were going to talk about, Lee, but I'm glad well, that it's a uh, I went squirreling with a 22 and I carried so much, uh, covered so much ground at 22 after a while I was getting on my nerves. That's one thing I really want right now is a 22. No, I, my brother gave me a, a 1022 and tricked it out and God, I love it. Just a, a basic Ruger 1022. Is, oh, it's fabulous. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that would be one of the most handy and just a plank or something to just to go out and have fun with. And Oh, I'd shoot it all the time and it's dead on. I've got a... Alden scope, not a very expensive scope. Chad and I bought two of them at the same time. Three by nine, a forty. Yeah. You know, I keep it around four or five power. I've been in the, the it's a squirrel smoking mobile. Let me look through my But it got heavy after a while. Oh that twenty two? Yeah, it went Well we we covered a lot of ground. It was great. That was my first real squirrel hunt with good dogs. And uh it was over in your part of the woods, it was in southern Shelby County and uh Tough day. It was unusually warm. It was right before Christmas, um, and I didn't think we'd get anything. Bluebird, bright, warm. We killed six because we had such good dogs. Yeah, and they were really spread out. You know, not not much mast on the ground at all over there. I enjoy squirrel hunting with the dog a lot, and I I plan on taking my beagle hunter out squirrel hunting soon. And you know, he's always he'll he'll tree squirrels and he'll he'll do that and then he'll run rabbits and i always just kind of thought that he knows what we're after and every time i get him out of the truck i talk him up i'm like all right we're looking for rabbits today we're going to find a bunny we're going to you know i tell him over and over rabbit rabbit and i've always thought that i'm drilling it into him like that's what we're after today and he, he always does a really good job focusing on whatever it is that i actually want to hunt and then yesterday i took him for a hike out at jefferson memorial forest and he was in pure squirrel mode and when we were in the woods, then we got to a power line cut, and he was in pure rabbit mode. He was going through that tall grass. It's a good dog. Well, I realized that. Did he bring him in? He was fun having him here, with oh, taking him. He was he, in there snoring. He's, yeah, he's a good dog. <laughs> he, uh, but I realized yesterday that it has absolutely nothing to do with what I tell him. He doesn't care about me telling him rabbit or me telling him squirrel. 
He uh, he just knows what to do. Well, he knows what habitat we're in. Yeah. He knows that when we're in that tall grass and that brushy stuff, he needs to be rabbit hunting. And he knows when we're in hardwoods, he needs to be squirrel hunting. So he just does it naturally based on the, the habitat. And I realize that it has nothing to do with me <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> so, you know, that's why sometimes when we're out and we're rabbit hunting and he gets over there in some trees where it doesn't really look like a rabbit's going to be, he'll, I'll see him start sniffing logs. And st he's just 100% of the time, all the time hunting something. So I, I do look forward to getting him back out and doing more of that. So. Good way to, I mean, we, did you watch the segment that we did with Hunter on the on the show? Well, I watched this, and then yes, I did. You did watch the segment? Yeah, but I saw the one, and then we, you know, the one you showed me, the funny one, that, <laughs> that didn't make the cut. <laughs> yeah. Well, for the those wondering who might have watched that segment with uh, with Hunter, wondering what Lee's talking about, there was a rabbit that day that we jumped and ran. We didn't get good footage of it at all, but essentially, it was running straight at me, and I somehow shot and hit it at about, what, two feet? Yeah. <laughs> it was running straight at me. And I, and it was literally, I mean, it might have taken, it might have stepped on my boot if I didn't shoot, but I, I shot that rabbit at about two feet um, midair. And I have no idea how I hit it, but that didn't make the TV show. <laughs> so a little, little behind the scenes uh, for, for everybody. But yeah, that, uh, that, I mean, that was fun. I haven't done any rabbit hunting in several years, and I need to get back. I, we, we used to go, uh, the, the Friday after Thanksgiving, my brother and I went for years. Man, if you have if you have access to some beagles, it's that's about as fun as it But we gets. never had dogs. We yeah. always, we were our own dogs. Well, going out and being, being the dog is fine. I mean, that's fun, especially if you're trying to put meat on the table, but something about watching the dogs work. Same yeah. thing with squirrel hunting. Same mm -hmm. thing with raccoon. Oh, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed watching yeah. uh, hunting with Cody dogs. And, and Rosie work the other day. It was fun. Hunting with hunting with dogs just makes everything better. Yeah. And you know you can. But they ran our butts off, man. I mean, we cool. humped some ground. Recently for the TV show, um, it hasn't aired yet, but we went down and we squirrel hunted with a couple of uh, older fellows, uh, mid in their late 80s. Wow. Uh, and they had squirrel dogs, and they. Where at? Um, it was actually down in. Where's Harold Knight live? What's that town called? It starts with the Cadiz. Cadiz. It was in Cadiz. A lot of people say we'll call it Cadiz, and you get down there, it's Cadiz. Cadiz. Kind of like, we, we like to do that in Kentucky. Well, that's it's where it's Kutawa, not Kutawa. That's where we went, <laughs> and I think one of the fellows was uh, 85, and or uh, somewhere around there, and he talked. Was it Swampers? Oh, a squirrel hunting. Oh, okay, that's right. They had a couple feist, and he talked about he was born in a tent on a uh, on a lumber. Like, what's it called? A sawmill? Mm -hmm. uh, where they used to timber camp, out Camp, yeah, lumber camp. So this would have been back in the 30s. So this would have been on the tail end of the Great Depression, just before World War II started for America. I think it was like 39 or Yeah, my dad was like born that. in 37. Somewhere. Somewhere, yeah, so around there. But he talked about how when he was five, you know, they didn't have food or anything. So mm -hmm. he would take a, a 22 and uh, just a handful of shells, and he'd have to go out and he'd have to take squirrels for the family to actually eat. That was their, you know, every day he'd, he'd be out there. How many squirrels do we need for dinner tonight? We need four squirrels to feed us all. And so he'd have to go out there when he was five years old and put okay, food okay. on the table. So it was kind of a cool story hearing him talk about that. I just that. finished the story. That's what I went out was using a 22 for squirrels. Yeah. And I kind of alluded. Back in the day, that's the only gun a lot of families had. It's all they could afford. That's what I want. I mean, that's what I, because it, it really is just an extremely useful. I mean, like I want to introduce, I would love to get Kristen hunting at some point, right? But I'm not going to take her out there and make her shoot my 308 to get yeah. ready to go deer. I would want to get her comfortable shooting a rifle 
before I bumped her I'm up. I'm doing to, that with my wife with a, a 22 semi-auto pistol. I just need a 22. Yeah. 22 is the way to introduce somebody to shoot. She was scared of it for years and years. Now she's like, this is fun. Yeah. So, and, and it's made her feel a little bit safer at home, too. Now I've got her at least something to shake it. I mean, it's a good hunting tool. It's a good training tool. And but it also is good for uh, for dogs. A lot of people tell you when you first introduce your dog to gunfire, take them out there with 22. Maybe start them off with 22 shorts and then work your way up. Because, I mean... I think of a mistake a lot of people make when they talk about having a gun-shy dog is the first time that dog ever heard a gun go off is a three-and-a-half-inch waterfowl load. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> you know? I, my, I had a dog. She wouldn't. I couldn't break her of the fear. Yeah. Of, you just, she, she hated thunderstorms. She hated fireworks. Yep. She hated gunfire. And oh. she was, man, I, I'd bring dove wings home and hide them in the yard. We'd go over to the park, and I'd hide different stuff, and she'd find it. She would have been great. But Hunter, he, he, he... And I didn't know what I was doing. I should have had... But it was my wife's dog. She was, I don't want you. You need to get your own dog. So down the road, I would like to get a good dog. I, lo I love my dog. And he uh, he doesn't like thunderstorms or fireworks either. There's a special spot in the on the... But he's not gun shy. No. Well, that's what I was getting at. So there's a spot in the bathroom on the rug where that's his spot. Mm -hmm. I don't know why it's a safe spot, but 4th of July, New Year's Eve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 4th um, of July. That's where he was. And if we're... If we're in bed and and the fireworks or thunderstorm pop up in the middle of the night, you know, if the thunder wakes me up the first time it goes off, it's pretty much within one second I'll hear the blanket fly off Hunter down there in his little dog bed because he sleeps in a dog bed in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. I hear the blanket fly off and I hear him shake off his ears real quick and then within two or three seconds I can feel him at the side of the of the big bed pawing. <laughs> wanting you know, to go to the bathroom? I, I, no, wanting to come up. Oh, he just wants to some but. Um, Fireworks and thunderstorms do that to him, but he's gotten to the point where now if I shoot a, a gun, a shotgun or a rifle, if I shoot any kind of firearm, he know, he's looking at which direction I was pointing that thing when I shot it, and he's heading that way because he thinks there's something over Heck there yeah. for him, you know. So it's uh, We had a golden doodle named Tilly, and she'd go to the bathtub when yeah. it started thundering. She'd just go stand in the bathtub. We taught her to stand in the bathtub. That's a safe spot. She'd go in there. Hunter hates baths. <laughs> that, that. Well, she and Tilly didn't mind Bell. You couldn't. She hated being wet. She was half lab. Hated being wet. But Tilly'd be like, "I get in the bathtub." She loved having a bath because yeah. you paid attention to her. She got rubbed on. She, she loved it. I think Hunter secretly likes getting a bath, but he does not like the idea of it. Yeah. Like if I tell him, "All right, buddy, it's time for a bath," he'll, you know, he won't look at me. He'll look the other direction. <laughs> you know, he'll drop those ears. We'd have just grab Bell and force her. You know, you know? I'll, I'll put him in the bathtub. He'll stand there for it. But he is so excited when he gets out. I think he secretly likes it. Yeah. You know, he's rubbing on everything. He just, I, I mean, it's like... Tilly going back your heart and running around. She's yeah. like, oh, Dad. And like, <laughs> I, I groomed her after a while because it's so expensive. We bought a decent clippers and paid our grooming bill and two clips. Yeah. Yeah, one grooming. So, but she loved that too because it itched and all that. And I think yeah. she liked all, having all the attention. She loved... Attention. She loved attention. That's what all dogs want. They just, I mean, the main thing a dog wants is a, a, to please its owner, mm -hmm. which is how you train one properly if you wanted to... If you want a dog to do something, like hunting-wise, you just got to reward it with, like, gratitude. You just mm -hmm. let it know it's doing good. And chances are that dog's going to want to keep doing good, and it's going to do what it needs to to do well. I think that's the best way to train a dog. And obviously, if one does something wrong, you got to let it know that that's not good. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that positive reinforcement seems to be what drives most dogs. I agree. To me. All right, I'm going through my, my list here, Lee. We've All done right. we've done bear hunt. We've done coyote hunt. I'm going to talk a little bit about squirrels with dogs. That's fun. And 22. Mm -hmm. oh, and I, I've got a synthetic stock on mine with the silver barrel. I, 
I still like a blued barrel with a wooden stock. I, mean, yeah. I love traditional looking. Oh, yeah. That's I mean I, all those. Is that what you'll get? You think? I'll just go to the store and get whichever. <laughs> I'm not somebody who's too particular, you know. I like a well. This was free, so I wasn't particular. Yeah, I like a synthetic stock because it's lighter mm -hmm. and it's more weather durable. Mm -hmm. But I'll be honest with you, a lot of times, like with a with my nicer rifles that I think I might be taking a three, four, five hundred yard shot with, I care about what my stock's made of because I'm like today going out there hunting with it th with these weather conditions, wood warps. You know, and especially in wet conditions or in hot conditions, and I want the most consistency I can get out of a gun that I want to be accurate. So I want a synthetic stock because it's not going to warp. It's not going to change with the weather. But on a, with a 22, I, give me whatever. Like yeah. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. Yeah. So if I'll probably end up just going to the store and seeing what they have on the shelf and saying I'll take it um, with a, a 10-22. And I like. You know, it's a, it's going to be a workhorse just like my 870. It's going to get beat up, and it's mm -hmm. not going to be a pretty gun. So I'd say about two synthetic stock. Yeah, I mean, I bulldog through brush, and yeah. you know, not a scratch. But my my favorite gun I have is my LW 870 Wingmaster uh, Magnum. Beautiful fleur de lis stock, mahogany. Oh really? Oh, it's it's just I love that, that gun. Louisville stock, huh? Well, uh, well, it's yeah, yeah, it But that fleur de lis is, I mean, it's Louisville's like emblem here, but that's actually taken from, what's Louisville's sister city? Is it? Yeah, France, isn't it? Well, New Orleans is New Orleans, yeah. But I think both New well, Orleans. Well, the Saints, the symbol of the Saints is a fleur de lis pattern. So New Orleans and Louisville are both based on French yeah. culture, or the sister city, somewhere in, in France, maybe Paris, I'm not sure, but fleur de lis tells I did, you. I wore my wedding ring, and my wedding ring has a kind of a cabled pattern on it, and I've forgotten, I scratched my forearm. I was so mad. Oh, on that stock? Yeah. But, you know, I've scratched it on fence posts and all that, and everybody's like, I was like, I want to make it look like it's new. And they said, then you'll ruin the gun. Yeah. You know, it, the the few pits, a little bit of rust you forgot one day and you got wet and all that, that's part of the story of the yeah. gun. You're going to ruin the value of it, making it try to make it look new when it's got, that's part of its oh, yeah. appeal. Like with my 870, like I, I beat it up. I mean, it has been just... Mine has been shot so many times, I could jack that action with Two fingers. <laughs> so loose and sloppy. I like it like that. Well, it my, cycles quick. Mine's pitted out. The stock is all beat up and tore up, but I'm never getting rid of that gun. Yeah. So why why do I care? You yeah, know? I'm not, I'm yeah, I'm never selling that one. Let's see. So on my list here, Lee, we've done sports, coyote hunt, rabbit, bear hunt. We've done a bunch of random stuff too. I wanted to talk about the the fishing with those temperature drops. I thought yeah. that was interesting. Something else fishing related and you might have this yeah, on your I list. Yeah, I do. Uh, I was looking up they're pulling Lake Cumberland really hard right now. Dale, they're only pulling one turbine. Cumberland, they're pulling four, 24-7. So that's going to pull. If you're going down smallmouth fishing the next couple of weeks, it's going to, if they keep that pattern up, it's going to pull them off. I think it makes them a little grumpy. Yeah. You know. Um, if I was going down to Cumberland to fish I would go right to Dale. Now, if I was going to fish right now down in one of those places, mm -hmm. I would probably be heading to the tailwaters of Cumberland. But not with that generation. Yeah, they're um, ripping it right now. I say, so that tells me that I'm, it's out. Yeah, I'd be going to Dale yeah. or Laurel. Yeah. Just falling water, I don't care if it's a creek, I don't care if it's Lake Cumberland. Falling water is the hardest fishing. Yeah. I, I just would Stable like to, good, rising good, falling bad. If I had, you know, if I was going fishing right now, no offense to the smallmouth, I love them, but mm -hmm. without a boat, I would probably be looking to do some type of bank fishing or kayak mm -hmm. fishing. I'd probably look for walleye or uh, maybe muskie or mm -hmm. trout, something, some other cold weather species. Sauger. Sauger. Yeah, sauger blood. What's the Ohio look like? Up, up. 
Okay, I think it's pretty well blown out. I think most places are pretty well blown out oh, right yeah, now. Yeah, that's why. So, but Green River, I'd have to look at it. That's an opportunity close by for some walleye, potentially a muskie. So, you know, just got to explore those, uh, what is it, the U.S. Army Corps, the mm -hmm. uh, the website, see what their lease is. They give you projected. Some of them, um, I'm a little, the one at Cumberland, I don't want to make anybody mad, but man, they haven't updated since December the 28th. And when they say smallmouth, they're hitting on topwater. I was like, who does these? Yeah. They haven't hit topwater in five months. Hey, where, where, who, where was this? It's the fa like Cumberland Fishing Report they put on there. You know, it says stripers. Is it our guys? Uh, no. It's I was going to say, our guys would not say topwater. No, it's but, on the core side. You know, we do our weekly fishing report um, on YouTube, and that's what you were taking a look at before yep. we walked in here to do the podcast, is we actually, for the next eight weeks, are foregoing the weekly standard report because things are just so consistent mm -hmm. in the winter months. So they really... You know, it's and they don't get enough good reports because these the fishing report it's we put, the fishing winter. report we put out each week is based on information coming from krill surveys coming from anglers mm -hmm. and when there's so few anglers on the lake it's hard there's to get to report. Yeah. it's hard to get good reliable info so we're still doing a fishing report but it's going to be a more of an informational um, you know format than it, it's not really going to focus on what's going on on the lakes right now um, but things are so consistent in the winter. I'll be honest with you, we could probably rerun a fishing report from January the, what is this weekend, the 8th of last year, and it would probably be the exact, the exact same. same. Yeah. yeah, because I mean, the winter months, it's one of the reasons. I love fishing in the winter, a lot of people don't, I love it. Well, a lot of people don't because <clears throat> it's cold, Yeah. and they don't want to be cold. But <clears throat> if you're just looking for good fishing, consistency is what you need mm -hmm. and that's one of the reasons one of the best crappie guys we ever went out and fished with he he said his favorite months were the hot summer months and he said it was all because he got consistency and the water temperature stabilized and it was the same thing for week after week after week he could go back and he could find he wouldn't those. have to run all over the lake finding fish he knew exactly where they were going to be and it's the same thing with the winter i mean in the winter when the water temperatures actually stabilize and they aren't rising or falling like the spring or fall you can consistently find fish in the same spot if you're willing to go out there and do it. And uh, I mean, we have a lot of cold weather fish species in the state. Mm -hmm. We just named a couple of them, smallmouth, uh, trout, walleye, sauger, muskie. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our better sport fish, more popular sport fish are cold water, water mm -hmm. fish. Basically look and say, if they fish for it up in Canada, chances are it's good to fish for here in the winter if, if we yeah. have them. So. Yellow perch, if you can go find them somewhere. Uh, Kentucky Lake, but it's hard, they're hard to pattern. Yeah, there's a couple lakes. I think Linville has them. I think yeah. Bolts might have them. I know that little private lake in well, Linville has, or no, Laurel's had a few northern pike that Johnny Appleseed yeah. brought. So, and, and I never have caught a pike. I'd love to go do that, but I don't, I, don't, I think the chances. I think it's are, a very low population, but Johnny Appleseed brought some pike. Yeah, so it's just, I would like to go catch. That's one of the fish on my list that I've never caught, but. Are, are yellow perch native to Kentucky? I do not believe so. I don't think so either. So, I mean, that's not necessarily a but Kentucky they're fish. They're my favorite fish to eat. I need far. to try them. They're I, delicious. I hear good things about them from up north. And I watch, you know, some some of my favorite YouTubers to watch fishing-wise are guys from up north. Um, Where'd the banana one that you sent me come from? Yeah, that was uncut angling. They're out of Manitoba. Okay, that and was funny. I watched, they were catching walleye that day, weren't they? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, and the good walleye. I watched one of their videos the other night. It was a new one. It was the uh, first ice fishing of uh, the year, and they were catching yellow perch. 
And so that was kind of fun. I mean, I would I actually scheduled, it hasn't gone up yet on Facebook, a ice fishing segment today for Kentucky Field. It's a throwback Thursday, you know, looking back to the last time we ice fished, which was 2018. That's the last time Where'd we Where'd y'all had, do that one? Uh, Nelson County, Farm Pond, just crappie. Um, but that's the last time we had safe ice. And we went out last year to try to film an ice fishing segment, but the ice wasn't. Never big. got safe ice. Yeah. yeah. Now we were looking at like two and a half inches of ice last year, and you need four. Um, four or more is safe to walk across and ice fish on, drill holes in. I think six or more is where you're getting to really solid. That's when they drive trucks out on and yeah, stuff like truck, that. You can drive vehicles. I'm not going to tell anybody to drive a vehicle across the ice in Kentucky because no. I think that's just a bad idea. Because you got to watch out for things. Anytime you got flow or a underwater spring. spring yeah, you could be driving along, crunch. And yeah, that's one thing I would not want to, uh, no. to do is go through the ice. When I did I, go through the ice when I was a little kid, though. Well, when I was young, we were <laughs> Tours Lake at Bardstown. We walked out there, we were... Water started getting up around our ankles. We just ran, breaking holes through the ice, and we made it all the way back to shore. We got our knees down wet and oh, I went home. I was like, mm, note to self, yeah, don't do that again. I, I mean, of course, I'm trying to cross frozen creeks and you know shallows where it's like four or five inches deep. Of course, I step through ice all the time. Mm -hmm. But when I was a kid, I remember I went through ice twice in ponds. And uh, yeah, it's not, you know... Even when you're a kid and you feel invincible, you know, you, you don't not, like being in a... You learn now. quick. Not a, yeah. not a good idea. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's why I try to stress now, like, the four inches of ice. You want to you wanna have that and you want to check it. So if you if you are wanting to go ice fishing, so like, I don't think we're anywhere near it right now. No. We would need this weather for a week mm -hmm. before you could even consider it. We might get that this year, though. You know, on this time of year when it's starting to get really cold... I mean, ice fishing is a really, really fun, great opportunity. And if we have the opportunity to do it, I hope people do. So that's why I feel like it's good to promote it on the front end so people have it in their mind and they're thinking about it. But at the same time, you know, you got to tell people in Kentucky, it's kind of like they talk about when they get snow down in Florida, and mm -hmm. like once every 10 years and people driving, like, like they just... Oh, don't I know. They it's the same thing with ice fishing in Kentucky. Like, we might all be experienced anglers, but we very rarely get the chance to ice fish. So we're inexperienced, we don't know what we're doing. So I feel like you have to tell people how to do it safely. And if you do have a pond that say holds crappie or something and we get some solid ice and you wanna go ice fishing, I would just walk right on the edge of the pond where it's maybe six inches deep, drill a hole and see how deep it is. And if you got over four inches of ice, go out just a little bit further and mm -hmm. drill another hole. You wanna check those holes and, and make sure that Anywhere you're standing on that pond, you've got four more inches of ice. And if you've got four more inches, I mean, it's solid. Yeah. You know, ice, it gets strong pretty quick. But mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't do it with less than four. Nope. And it can be freaky. Like, the last time we went out there and ice fished, I think it was 15. And we were on that pond. And it was still actively freezing. Like, we had five inches, five and a half inches of ice. But while we were out there, it was still actively freezing. And you can hear that ice. I mean, it makes some of the strangest noises. You ever listen to a pond freeze up? I think so. Yes. I mean, it sounds like, like I can't even replicate the noises, like, like bullets ricocheting off of the thick glass, or you know, you just hear. It's like, like I've heard that noise. Almost like space-like noises. I've also heard that when it's cracking for me being on top and I'm running for my life. Yeah. Well, I mean, but it can sound freaky. You can be out there on it and you hear these crazy noises, and you you would think that that's ice cracking, but in reality, it's just ice freezing thicker. And uh, it's kind of like tectonic plates, you know, pushing against each other. No doubt. Making mountains, but it's doing it really, really quick, and it's ice. What do you? What else we got, Lee? Well, I, I wrote down mushrooms. I don't really know if mushrooms are something to talk about. 
Uh, well, one thing that I've, I've thought about and uh, one thing that I did over is this is the best time to pull every bit of your tackle and your hunting gear, but your tackle especially, every box, every bag, go through it, put everything that you misplaced back where it belongs mm -hmm. and organize your tackle. Yeah, I need to do that seriously. I really and I did that over break. I mean, I'd get my coffee out and I'd pull this one out and I'd be like, there's, I mean, you'll be amazed the lures you find like, I've been looking for that jig for two years, you know, yeah. because you had a title on another rod, you stuck it in something, it's like you stuck this jig in your creek fishing stuff and then you haven't used it since because it's a lake jig and that kind of thing. Yes, yeah, I like doing that kind of stuff this time of year. Nothing to do with the weather. Like, yes. I mean, I, can, I use my hunting and fishing stuff as much when it's cold out, mm -hmm. but it's the length of day. When I just have this much darkness, I have to find things around the house sometimes to do. To keep you from pulling your hair out. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why, I like, with the gym, like, I don't go to the gym in the spring, summer, or fall, but in the winter, I renew my membership because I need something to do when it's dark out and to, you know, stay, stay active. So, the same thing around the house. I might create the biggest mess in the world with my fishing stuff over mm -hmm. those other nine months of the year, but mm -hmm. these are the months where I put it all back together. And lube your reels, check your uh, probably respool line. I've gotten so many rods anymore, and that's something that happens is you forget, what do I have on this? Do yeah. I have 10 pound Invisex, or did I put my. So, I've got a little. Um, note card thing that I have and I've written down every line that I have on my rods and as I change I erase and put what's in there so now I know. That's one good way to do it. You know the white labeling tape? Mm -hmm. Like I know that Chad takes that white labeling tape and he sticks it on the side of his spool um, on his reel but down below where the line is actually mm -hmm. like say it's a say it's a spinning reel down on the spool below where the line is yeah. actually at. Put a little piece of labeling tape and just put 8F the eight pound floral, you know, yeah. or you can put 30, and if it's braid, you know it's 30 braid. Yeah. And just on a bait caster, you can label it on the rod, but he goes through and he labels what's on each rod and reel with a little piece of white labeling tape and a permanent marker. And then when he respools it, you can just peel that off and put a new one on. But I, I do lose track of what I have on everything. And a lot of people just have one or two fishing poles. It's probably not that difficult. But yeah. if you got five or six you use, and like me, I've got, I go through lines. <laughs> I go through line where I might be going out fishing and the river's at a certain flow <clears throat> and I throw a 20 pound braid on there. And the next time I go out, I'm thinking, well, you know, I'd really like to have 30. And I'll take that 20 pound braid on and I'll spool it back onto a little spool of line. Now I'll put 30 on it. And then next time I go out, I might switch it back out for the 20 I took off mm -hmm. last time. So I'm constantly going back and forth. It creates a really big mess and yes. it makes it really- But I really learned how to do the monofilament backing. You turned me on to how to do it and stuff. Oh yeah. With the Aberdeen knot? Yeah, yeah. with the, well, I've, I've used the uni knot. Uni knot. No, well, any of those knots are good, but. Well, trying I can to, remember that one. So. Trying to think, Lee, the only other thing I had written down that I really want to talk about was Christmas tree drop off, yeah. which is going on through next yes. week. So the 15th, I think, is the last day for that. But if somebody still has a real yeah. Christmas tree. We don't take fake ones. Yeah, real Christmas tree, undecorated and unpainted. Um, I think that's probably, I don't know if that's even written on the website, but. I know that some places that are more of a box retailers that mm -hmm. sell Christmas trees, like say Walmart or a Kroger or a Myers that has Christmas trees out for sale, a lot of times they actually spray paint those mm -hmm. um, to keep them green. Pre, yeah. Yeah, so it might be worth checking to see if your tree is spray painted. Because you're, you're going to help 
produce better fishing. Yep, you can drop those off. There's, you can look on the Department of Fish and Wildlife website. Just type in Christmas tree in the search box probably, and it'll pull up a page, and it'll show you drop-off locations all over the state. And you basically take your Christmas tree there, and it's out of your hair. You don't have to worry about what you're going to do with it now. And it'll be sunk in a lake, and yep. uh, it'll be, be bluegill swimming around it this spring. Attached to some cinder blocks and dropped off into a lake somewhere. Christmas trees only last about a year, they say. Well, a year and change. I'm sure that some of the structure stays down there. Yeah. But you can, then your Christmas tree will be made into fish habitat, and you can get on the department's website and look at fish attractor mm -hmm. locations on the website, and it'll drop a little pen. Go to the search engine and say, lakes with fish attractors, and you'll be amazed how many are on there. We have GPS coordinates and all kinds of, yeah. you can get right on them. And they, they actually do work. They do work. I've done it. And I, you know, I don't know if there's any rhyme or reason to how we, I mean, we're doing so many Christmas trees. So many of them go in the water. I think we probably just sink them. Yeah. But there are certain ways to get more out of your Christmas tree if you can sink it from the the tip and float the base. But yes. I think that it probably requires a lot more time than we are able to efficiently put into I it. I did a story with Joe Zimmerman on how to put cover in your farm pond. Mm -hmm. And and height was very important. Yeah. If you could get height from yeah. the bottom to the top, it just is really nice. It gives them options. Yeah. When the pressure changes or when any conditions change, if they have because fish don't care about moving horizontally in the water column because mm -hmm. it's all the same. Like they might as well be 10 feet down right here versus five feet over, 10 feet down there. I mean, it's the exact same thing, but a foot or two of depth vertically makes a big difference for fish when you're talking about pressure and things like that. So if you can create structure that gives them more opportunity to move vertically than it does horizontally, that's gonna be more beneficial to the fish. Because yep. as the pressure changes, they can move up or down and still have that cover there. So, I mean, if somebody has a farm pond, that is a good piece of advice. You aren't just wanting to throw a bunch of branches on the bottom, although that probably would help if you can stand it up and create vertical structure. Yes. I wonder, yeah, that's probably a good little piece of advice. Just something for people to know, at least. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting when I first learned that. It's a good time of year to do it. I need to do it on my brother's pond's finally filling. We need to put some structure in there. I'm, yeah, it's the reason that we he's, put structure. He's ornery on it. He doesn't want to seem to. Yeah, the winter pool is a good time to put structure out in a lot of places. Yes. You can work on the bank that will eventually be underwater. So that's why we do it this time of year on the reservoirs. And it just happens to time up perfectly with when people have a bunch of extra cedar trees they need to get rid of. So it's a win-win for everybody, really. But that, that's going on through the 15th, and all the information is on the website. We should do a early spring uh, smallmouth float podcast. I'm all for it. Just got to hope this little audio recorder survives and we'll mm -hmm. be in good shape. Yeah. No, we've done that before. We need to go back and just fish. We need to go back and do something out Yeah, we've, we've done wades. We've done wades, and we've interviewed people out on the creek, but yeah. we've never done a float. I think it'd be fun. Yeah. Hearing the kayak paddle bang on the kayak and the riffles and all, it'd be, make some interesting audio. It could. It could make, I mean, I've sometimes... Especially I, if you hear a drag one. Or that if, would be even better. Or if you get caught in a little uh, saner or something like that. I'm, I'm sure that the audio would be interesting. <laughs> As soon as you drop uh, your pliers overboard. Or, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you'll have to go back and beep some of the things out, I'm sure. Uh, don't worry, I would. It'd, it'd, be, it'd be worth it. And I've got a fever dream for another kayak, even though I don't need it. What are you going to do? I know. If you don't I would mind? like to have another sit on top. Uh, my wife has one, and I could use it about any time, but her and I are going together on She wants to get into more funner water, a little bit more sporty water, and mine is a hybrid, and when you get in a little bit of a wave train and you get some standing waves, they'll pour over the side into the boat and you take on water. Yeah. Uh, so. Get something with some scupper plugs. Yeah, I have, I do, but 
my wife loves that boat mm -hmm. and it's been my spare boat and it's it's getting some beat marks on it and she's getting a little yeah. fed up with well, me. I told you the situation with mine is I, I put a hole in the Hobie, yeah. unfortunately. But the the sit on top kayaks with scupper plugs. That's what you, yeah. When you're in rough water, I mean, the, the, my man array, I've been in stuff where I'm like, well, I'm going over yeah. and I didn't. Yeah. I've been in waves that were above my head yeah. of chocolate milk and it came right Well, if there. you think about it, if you got scuffer plugs, that means you got a solid body kayak mm -hmm. that is always going to, I mean, water isn't going to be able to get into the kayak because mm -hmm. you got literally a solid airtight body on it. So it's always going to float. You want to leave a couple so it'll bail if you hit a wave. Yeah, well, I, 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 I don't even put mine in. I leave them open. Yeah, like, my kayak has never had scuffer plugs in. Uh, Kristen's kayak that I bought for last year, scuffer plugs have never been put in that kayak. Because, I mean, you're constantly on the green or on Elkhorn, the most common places we float. You're constantly going through waves and riffles and mm -hmm. water splashing in your boat. And it's just so much nicer when it just drains out on its own. Oh, it's great. And with I've had it filled up, and then two paddles later, it's bailed. With a Hobie, you can't. I mean, because it has the pedal drive system, so it's got a, a hole in the floor of the kayak 100% of the time. So it's pretty much always self-bailing. But, you know... If somebody's looking to buy a kayak and get ready for the spring, it's probably a good time to do it. So. Oh, yeah. Some, some dealers will have demos used. This is the best time of year to buy a kayak. But I, I need a shed. I need I need so many more things than a third kayak. We'll get to work, Lee. But I, I, I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the biggest barrier happens to be my, my domestic partner who's like, well, we need this, we need that, instead of, well, you already have two. Why do you need another? Yeah. She's right. Oh, come on. Please. But I'm going to get another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got, I mean, it's a trade-off, man. The way, I mean, I've never been married, so I might be completely wrong on this, but I see it as a trade-off. Yeah, it is. You know, you, and I had a rough year last year. It's kind of my gift to me. You know? Yeah, you did have a rough, a rough year last year. And you know what? You look better now, too. Lee. I appreciate it. You've gained a little bit of weight back. And I have. I, and I've got a lot more to go, though. I'm wearing pants yeah. I wore when you can I was tell sophomore your, in high school. You can tell on your face that you've gained some, some yeah. good weight back, so that's good to see. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, 2022 is going to be a good one for you. Hell yeah, and I'm, I'm fired up. Yeah. Because, so, I mean, when, when you're like held down by a medical problem and now you're feeling better, man, you get fired up. I remember last year when uh, when you were going through all that, you were talking about that rod that you're wanting to buy mm -hmm. from Chad. And you, uh, what was it you said? You were like, man, I always wanted one of those, but I never wanted to spend the money on it. But I kind of figured, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Life short. You realize life short, enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, might as well. So what is that rod you're getting against? Crotto? Yeah. yeah. No, no, it's no, not Crotto. Uh, no, it's the G, uh, G Limits. Oh, the GLX. The GLX, yes. The GLX with a metanium or one. Y'all made me snobs. I used to be, look down at people, oh, G Limits, and them, you know, what he thinks he's a I love But But guys. they're great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I've built rods, and I've built them with St. Croix. St. Croix makes a fantastic blank and all that, but the factory built ones, the balance, yeah. everything, they know a lot. They know how to do it better than me. Uh, other. For sure. Other brands might be able to do it just as good, but I'm telling you, the first time I picked up one of those G Loomis GLXs, mm -hmm. I was fishing that swim bait method on the bottom that we talked about earlier, and I never had felt the bottom like so, I could. I, know. I mean, it was like it was inter, inter, it was interesting to me. Like I was staying entertained <clears throat> that day fishing, even when I wasn't getting bites or catching the fish, just because I was feeling the contour of the bottom. So I was feeling pebbles. I could mm -hmm. tell what a weed was. What, you know, where I was in sand and where I was in gravel, what I was like, I could see the bottom of the lake through feeling it with my rod, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's the first time I'd ever experienced that was when I was fishing one of those GLXs with fluorocarbon. And I just never had felt anything like that before. And I wanted it from that point on. I wanted to be able to feel that. 
Well, the little ECX rod, you, that's my favorite weighting rod now. And yeah. I, I can look at a rock and put it right on top of it. Yeah. No, they're, they're great rods. I'm, yeah. glad you're, I'm glad you're getting a GLX. Oh, I, I, I'm, yeah. I have one GLX. So I would love to get another one. Yeah. But, I mean, they are I've pricey. never had a GLX. My highest end was my bronze back, which was, I think, a blend of IMX and something else. So no one ever really gave, came out with what they used. Still good but rods. But it's, oh, God, it's best, best stream smallmouth rod I've ever had in my yeah. hands. The, the replacement program is really good mm -hmm. for Shimano, too. I mean, I... Not not saying anything else isn't great, but the if you buy a GLX, the sticker price on them is pretty dang high, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm just gonna say you're talking four seventy five, right? Yes. That's high. Yeah. That's really high. And especially and that was a barrier for me for a long time. And I remember the first time I ever snapped one in half. We were on the Ohio River, we were hybrid fishing, and I was standing up towards the front of the boat and I had the rod leaned over the bow of the boat mm -hmm. and we were in a big deep V hole. And so there was probably a foot of air between the rod and the boat deck and it was just you know propped up on the side of the boat and we hit a rough wave and i had to take a knee to keep from going out of the boat and i put my knee right on that glx oh. snapped it in half and oh, I, mean, I would have had to I was like can you pull over to the shore let me, let me <laughs> go let me go sit a minute yeah well the, my heart is broken luckily the the replacement program so the thing is, I mean, those are lifetime guarantee, mm -hmm. and they really don't ask questions. And I told the guy, well, right, but you, you pay a fee. It you, used to be free, but you, people you, were taking advantage of you it. Pay, you pay a fee, and I and I called and I told the guy, I was like, yeah, I snapped that thing in half with my knee, and and you know, I had to pay a replacement fee, which is between fifty and a hundred dollars for the GLX. It's a hundred dollars, but that's more than a one hundred dollar rod. Mm -hmm. I mean, the quality of it alone is much much higher than that so the fact that once you buy a glx you then have a glx for life mm -hmm. you know with maybe having to pay 100 bucks every couple of years to replace a broken one is worth it because in the long run trust me i'm going to break my new glx that i got as a replacement i'm going to break it in half too and then eventually i'm going to break whatever i replace it with in half and i'm just going to keep breaking that rod in half and going through the warranty program until eventually i've had eight GLXs mm -hmm. and the average cost is 180 bucks. Yeah. You know, and at that point it's it's going to be worth it. But that sticker price up front, it's, you know, you got to take it on. But it, I think you'll enjoy the GLX. And oh, I'm glad that you're, I'm not glad you realized life was short, but I'm glad you had the mentality on it that you yeah. did. That's, <laughs> you know, that's a positive way to look at Heck it. Heck yeah. Well, I, I mean, you know, everybody, we all take licks, so yeah. it's how you respond. Yeah, yeah, I agree. What do you say we call it? Call it for Heck the yeah, day. I'm hungry. I'm hungry too. And then I'm. Uh, we had a meeting scheduled for this afternoon, but I just got an email earlier. It got canceled. So I'm going coyote hunting. Good. I'm. I'm supposed to have an MR, have a MRI tomorrow at 7:30. I. I don't know if that's. I may be getting an email later. Check the weather. It's not going to get above freezing for the next few days. So any snow that comes down might stick it's around. Nice. And honestly, I don't. I mean, the snow. It, it's not an issue for me. I know the roads will be taken care of, but once it gets down below a certain point, and I, I've seen tonight's overnight temperatures floating around 10, mm -hmm. um, you know, salt water still freezes. So I, I don't know if we're going to get to that point or not, but definitely be safe driving on wet roads over the next few days, especially if it gets down really cold because, I mean, you're talking about black ice or you're talking about just icy spots in general. So just be safe out there driving and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Go hunting and fishing, and, and we'll slow be down. I see people in this weather, and they're driving just like there's nothing on the slow down. I about got smoked by somebody at a red light this morning. I mean, I was the second car. First car in front of me went straight through, and I was on my way through, and a, some guy came flying from my right and cut right between me and the car in front of us. I, I think that they weren't paying attention because what? they slammed on their brakes like they were afraid. After they, I think they just ran right through a red light without ever knowing oh, it. I 
probably 80% chance they were looking at their electronic oh, device. I would say so. Yeah, but I, uh, I have a dash cam now, so I got it on video, and you can see me in the video. I, you know, I take a left because I was taking a left, so I ended up going the same direction as that car, and I, I sped up there next to him, and I looked over at them, and they, I think that it scared them more than it, because I think they went right through there and realized what happened without ever knowing it, and uh, they they slowed way down, and they were they they weren't in a hurry to get anywhere. I'll put it that way. So I think it was just an accident, but. You gotta be safe out there. It's no it's doubt dangerous. Reduce your speeds. Best thing to do in rain or snow. Reduce your speed. Plan more. Yeah. Leave earlier. I agree. I agree. All right, Lou. Cool. Let's call it quits. I appreciate. Yeah, we'll do. It. Let's do another one. A couple of weeks and uh, soon, soon. Hopefully, we'll have some. Uh, yeah. Two weeks and we'll have something to talk about. Let's do it. All right. Thanks for cool. coming in.